Indeed, as I was pondering the um, events of this last uh, few days, the uh, devastating hurricane, uh, not only South Florida, but uh, Puerto Rico, who um, just began to recover from having been hit by two hurricanes five years ago. Uh, it, it reminds us of the um, reality that, uh, with which we have to do um, when we think about the world and the healing of the world and our accountability for that. And when I pondered that, I uh, couldn't help but go to this passage of Scripture from Philippians, Paul's letter that, to the church of Philippi, one of my very, very favorite passages of Scripture. Indeed, in the 90s, in my spiritual life, I actually memorized this. I can't do it for you now, but I memorized this and prayed it for uh, an entire year. Um, this is um, what some have called Paul's master narrative. Hear these words from uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to follow along in your pew Bible if you would like, because this, these, are, these are significant words for not only coming from Paul, but for the Christian tradition. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though, and it can be translated, because he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, being found in the appearance as a human. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. A group of us at Second Presbyterian began a book group this week that is highly appropriate, I think, for uh, World Communion Sunday. We're reading uh, the new book by Norman Wurzbaugh, one of my very favorite theologians from Duke. Um, this Sacred Life is the name of the book, and the first chapter is entitled The Anthropocene. A word maybe some have not heard, maybe others have. It's a, it's a rather new word. It's coined 
for our current circumstance, a circumstance that we all know about, the Anthropocene, has to do with the fact that we have become not only at the mercy of nature, we have become predators of nature. We know what we've done. We know um, for a fact, climate scientists tell us that the the storms that we just encountered uh, are bigger and more ferocious than ever before. They're larger. Did you hear the NPR report about the the weather plane that went into this most recent hurricane? And they were aghast at the size of it and the ferocity of it. Ever more uh, ferocious are these storms, devastating the people of the earth, devastating people um, that uh, did not contribute to climate change for the most part. They didn't. And then before that, there was the flooding um, in in Pakistan, uh, the, the size of which was like, what, the state of Texas? And they still haven't recovered from that. The results of climate change. We are indeed living in the, in the era of the Anthropocene. Uh, we have become not only at the mercy of nature, but predators of nature. Um, we've left our mark on virtually everything, on the oceans, on the land. Uh, the deepest parts of the sea, we've left our mark on all of it. What do we do? According to Wurzbaugh, we need to rethink who God is and rethink our relationship with God. He says something astounding in this book that I'd never really thought about, that God is consistently, consistently imaged as moving towards the creation, not away from it. Now think about that. God is consistently imaged in Scripture as moving towards the creation, not away from it. So he says we must eschew all this escapist notions of, of religion, privatizing of religion, because God is with us. God is in the creation. Theologian Sally McVeigh said it strikingly. She said, the world is God's body. The world is God's body. And our own John Calvin said something shocking in in the first book of the Institutes. And when I think about it, I think, wow, John Calvin said this? John Calvin said, if said with a reverent spirit, nature is God. John Calvin said that. Now, he qualified it all to heck afterwards, but I mean, he said it. He said it. That that gives pause for us in uh, in, in, in our time and place in 2022, in the Anthropocene. Uh, what, what, What are we called to be and do? And that brought me to the Apostle Paul of all, of all strange people to, uh, to go to on this, on this subject. Paul is one of the most enigmatic figures in all of Christian history. Uh, he's been charged with all kinds of manner, uh, all, all kinds of attitudes and, and things that, uh, you know, uh, modern scholarship has debunked uh, him of, uh, largely. Um, uh, uh, and a close reading of actually Paul's letters suggests that he's maybe not all as bad as we, as we think he is. There's a, there's, a, there's a recent book that came out uh, that I think says what pe- some people feel about Paul. It says, Jesus I have loved, but Paul, question mark. <laughs> I like Paul. And I think there's some profundity to Paul that I think we should grasp at this moment in time in our history. 
Um, and I think uh, there's, there, there, there's one, actually one bad behavior that Paul admits to, and that is violence. It was violence against the early Christians. He admits to that. And he had this radical experience of the risen Christ. Do you remember this? The Damascus Road experience. It was a radical conversion, what you might call the great conversion. It was when the crucified and risen Christ came to him and said, said Saul, Saul, that was his name before it changed. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, why are you crucifying me all over again? That's what he's saying. You know, in our time and place, when we're pondering global Christianity, we're, we're pondering the, the Anthropocene, even if we haven't never used that word, that, that, that could be addressed to us. Um, Christians of North America, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> um, the world is God's body. The world is God's body. If said with a reverent spirit, nature is God. It was a radical conversion for Paul. Uh, Paul scholar Davina Lopez says that it was so radical, she, she did a gender analysis of Paul's authentic letters and compared them to the typical Greco-Roman male. And she says, Paul looks so radical compared to, to the archetypical Greco-Roman male because Paul went to that lowest spot. He identified with the lowest spot in creation, the lowest people. And it's all captured in this passage, what has been called, again, the master narrative of Paul. Um, and Paul probably did not write this. This probably was floating around, but, but Lord, did he claim it. Have the same mind in you that was in Christ, who though, and again, it it can be translated because he was in the form of God. Do you see, what, do you see the difference there? It's a powerful difference. Because he was in the form of God. Did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. The word there is kenosis. Um, and and that, that can actually be found in the dictionary. It's, it's um, uh, kenotic or kenosis. Um, uh, in the dictionary definition, it says to be emptied of divinity, but I, I, I think they actually need to revise that. It's not to be emptied of divinity. It's, it's actually to empty oneself of a certain form of divinity, an understanding of divinity that has to do with power over something. It's to empty oneself of that kind of notion of divinity, to move into a very different kind of divinity, which is power with the power of mutuality, especially the most vulnerable. That's who Paul, that's who Paul served as Lord, the one who came to be with the most vulnerable, to identify with the most vulnerable. And that's what he sought to model in his life. And that's why that conversion experience was such a radical conversion experience. It's, it's, a, it's a really quite remarkable kind of thing. Some scholars say of this passage, with this Christ hymn in, 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 in Philippians chapter 2, that it, it is the downward mobility of God into the world. The downward mobility of God into the world, into the real broken places, the wounded places in the world. And that's just not the wounded places with people. That's wounded places uh, in creation. Theologian Elizabeth Johnson talks about this passage a lot in the book that we read last uh, uh, Lent. 
if you many of you will remember what she what she says about that that book, and she says that we've got to expand the us because the us includes the creation. That God, God, in God's downward mobility, moved into the wounded spots of the creation in all of their diversity. There, that's where you're going to find God in the wounded spots of creation, in the places where we have wrought devastation, frankly, where the power over notions of God have wrought such power, such devastation. What, what Paul's talking about is power with others, to redeem, to liberate. And it, it has to do with all of the diversity of creation. I must tell you um, that Bedtime reading has always been a problem for me. Now, I'm sure you're wondering where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> but always been a problem with me. I've never, you know, my wife eats novels before she goes to bed. I mean, it's just amazing the number of no novels we've got piled up around the house. I've tried to move them to a digital form so they'd stop piling up in the house. She eats novels. I'm so envious of that. When I, when I go to bed, I, I, I put my head on the pillow and I start a novel and in two sentences, I am asleep. I have to be, it seems to be upright when I read a novel. But that's changed lately. I have been reading graphic novels and graphic books. Now, I know that sounds like something a Presbyterian minister shouldn't be reading, right? <laughs> what, a, what a graphic book is, it's just an adult comic book. You see, this is what I've been reduced to in, in, in my retirement. I've reduced to, to reading comic books. If you have any good comic books that you like, please send them my way because, because I can read a comic book, it turns out, before I go to bed. Now, did you know that they made an adult, um, uh, excuse me, a graphic novel out of George Orwell's 1984? Isn't that amazing? I commend it to you. It's a horrific story. Did you ever read that, that, that uh, 1949 uh, book about totalitarianism, Big Brother? That's where all that stuff comes from. Um, it's a horrific story. And did you know that 1984 is tops on the bestseller list for mass-produced novels? Isn't that interesting? Right now, it's a bestseller. This, this, this is a 1949 book, but it's so relevant. One of the most interesting things about the people that are in this totalitarian regime is they had to redo the dictionary. That's one of the most important things that they were doing. They had to reduce the number of words in the dictionary. They had to cut out all the adjectives and all the adverbs because, because you, you, you don't want to be describing diversity because there ain't any. <laughs> in a totalitarian regime, there's no, it's, it's, everybody has to think the same, so you don't need as many words. In fact, the goal of the dictionary reframers in 1984 is not even have a dictionary eventually, because everybody's going to think the same. You won't need it. Everybody will have it already in their head. Now I want to move uh, very, very quickly from uh, fiction to nonfiction. Uh, Norman Wurzba tells a horrific kind of story. I just, I just couldn't believe that this actually happened. The editors of the Oxford Junior Dictionary deleted a bunch of words from that dictionary, and the words were words like acorn, Heron, cowslip, pasture, 
And you know what words they added? Voice thread, blog, chat room. Isn't that astounding? That says it all. I mean, we're not moving towards the earth. We're moving away from it. The assumption there, of course, is the children don't have experiences of nature. They just have experiences with technology. The Anthropocene, it's with us. What are we called to be and do? It seems to me that Paul, Paul says it well. We're to follow God with God's downward mobility into the world, into all of the diversity of nature, to be able to name all those things, to understand them, to understand the systems, to understand them as God, because the world is God's body. Nature, Calvin, I think, was right. Nature is God, said with a reverent spirit. We've got to be careful here. <laughs> but, but nature is God. And every human face is the image of God, whoever they are, wherever they are. So as we ponder this World Communion Sunday, may we not be commodifiers of people, consumers of people and things and the earth. But may we, with, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, may we be empowered with a baptismal love, with a light touch, the light touch of love, the love of Christ, the love of God that moves down into the world in those most vulnerable places for the purpose of redemption, liberation, and hope. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, for your downward mobility to us and all creation and to all the nations of the earth, we are grateful. You have come to those vulnerable spots, those spots that we like to cover up, those spots that we like to ignore. But you have come to those spots in our own lives. And you seek redemption. You seek liberation. You seek a baptismal love that will not let us go. In Christ's name, amen.